Somebody told me this morning I look like an old-time preacher, and uh, I have a wedding right after our second service today, so there's lots of great things happening in our church, uh, babies that are being born, uh, new members coming in, people getting married. Uh, we're losing dear saints like Billy and uh, Webb that we buried last week along with James uh, Phillips' father, uh, Jay Phillips' father. So. I hope you're excited about what God's doing at Wayside. There's a lot of great things as we see this church impacting our city and this community and the people here. So it's kind of fitting today that we come to the close of our study in the book of Philippians because as we've walked through this letter today, we've seen why so many call this the book of joy. It's been filled with examples and practical ways for us to have joy as our lives are focused on Christ. And as this letter ends today, what we're going to find Paul doing is giving a fond farewell and a final thanks to the Christians who were there in, in the city of Philippi. For their, he thanks the Philippians for their partnership in his life and his ministry. And as we look at this letter and his final words, I think it's one that applies to Wayside as well today, so it should encourage us as we look at the ways that we partner in the ministry that God has given to us. I invite you to look with me at the end of chapter 4 as we read verses 14 through 23. It says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself. But I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You recall that in last Sunday, uh, last Sunday we saw in verses 10 through 13 that Paul had learned how to be content, whether he had a little or a lot. And although Paul had learned to go without, like any of us, he was thankful when he didn't have to. And so as he looks at the support given by these believers in Philippi, he's thankful. In verse 10, he says, He rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. As he says revived here, it's a, it's a very vivid Greek word that is used. It describes what happens, kind of like what we're seeing in San Antonio right now, when the rains return and a plant that looked like maybe it had died, something that had gone dormant, suddenly springs back to life and it begins to flower again and grow and green up. And this is what Paul says as he looks at the Philippians and their concern for him. It looked like it had almost died off and yet it's exploded again in life. And as Paul says this, it's not that the Philippians had forgotten about Paul. He said earlier in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation. He says, in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, when he says from the first day until now, this covers a period of partnership lasting about 10 years. If you've ever read through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16, you see where Paul was there in the city of Philippi ministering. He and Silas were there, and they started a church. They were sharing the gospel. And then you'll recall that persecution began, and Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. And as they were there in the jail after being beaten, 
uh, God sent an earthquake to release Paul and Silas. Then uh, Paul was able to lead the Philippian jailer and his family to the Lord. But shortly after that, the officials of the city said, Paul, you have to leave. You can't stay here in the city anymore. So he left the city of Philippi after starting the church there. But then for 10 full years, the Philippians have stayed involved in Paul's life. We've all heard the saying, out of sight, out of mind. But when Paul left Philippi, the Christians there didn't forget him. They were involved as partners through prayer and sending support, as we see mentioned in verse 16 when he was in Thessalonica. Now, we don't see any of the details given here as to why the support stopped, but as Paul moved around, you'll recall he was put in prison several times. It may have been that the believers lost track of Paul. He was shipwrecked, and so he didn't, they didn't know where he was, and the checks stopped coming, Paul says. But he knew even though the checks were not there, so to speak, I know that your support, your, your partnership with me continued because you prayed for me. You, even though you didn't know where I was, you were still in prayer supporting my ministry. I, I want you to consider the statement he says here. He says, you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity. Is that something that Paul would be able to write about you today? Would he say you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity? You, could, you, you, you can help but you don't seem to care enough to do it is what more so could be written of people today. When Paul says you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity, are you concerned for someone or something, but you lack the opportunity to show it? Or is it more that you just don't want to be inconvenienced? Now, I know that there are times in our lives that we want to help, but there are circumstances that keep us from doing it. But other times, honestly, sometimes it just comes down to the fact we just don't want to be inconvenienced. Is that right? I know it's true in my own life. There are times I see a need. There are times I see an opportunity. But I just think, you know, this just isn't a good time. The Philippians were those who could have easily said this. Paul was one that they loved, but they could have said, you know, Paul, right now things are just really hard. We just can't help you. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul was writing about what was happening there in Philippi. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches in Macedonia. Remember, Philippi was a city in Macedonia. So he's speaking of them, and he says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and in their deep poverty, it overflowed with the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of the participation of the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, this is every pastor's dream passage. He says, they were begging us for the privilege of being a part of the ministry. And he says, first they shared it through their lives, through their talents, and then through giving. And, and you notice here, it wasn't some surplus that they said, oh, I've got a little bit of extra sitting around. What Paul says is they didn't give out of their surplus, but they gave out of their deep poverty, literally out of their need. The story is told of a, a pastor who was visiting a church, and they were going to uh, give him a love offering for his ministry there. And when his time of ministry uh, came, he, uh, what the deacons of the church said is, you just pass your hat around, and the congregation will give you a love offering, and that's how you'll be compensated. And so the pastor took his hat off, and he gave it, and it was passed around the pews. And when it came back to him, he got his hat, and he looked in it, and there wasn't a single penny in it. 
Now, he hadn't preached yet, so it wasn't that his sermon was so bad. It was just he, he looks in his, in his hand, and he, he, he turns it over, and he shakes it out in the, in the sight of the entire congregation to show that nothing was there. And then he looked up to heaven, and, and he said, Lord, I thank you that at least I got my hat back from this congregation. <laughs> now, when it comes to the Philippians, Paul isn't one who, who, who speaks of this church this way. What he said is they had a, a time of affliction, persecution. Remember, Paul was arrested and thrown out of their city. And he says, you gave out of your deep poverty. He says, if any church could have said, I'm getting a little loud here, could we... If any church said that, you know, we need to, to maybe not be involved in the ministry, this was the church at Philippi. Now, how many of us have ever given till it hurts? Have you ever given till it hurts? Now, I'm not saying for some it, it hurts every time we give, right? <laughs> but have you ever really given till it hurts? I know I already confessed earlier that there are times I don't want to get involved in something. And, and I'll tell you that there are times that when I pull my wallet out, I have to kind of pry it open and my fingers get pinched in there when I'm pulling something out. And, but this is a church that said, we want to give even out of our deep poverty. It literally hurt to give. They were going without. Now, I know right about now there may be somebody here squirming and saying, you know, this is why I don't go to church. All the pastor ever wants is my money. Friends, relax. The offering plates have already been passed. They're not coming around a second time. And, and you may be sitting here thinking, well, the church must be really running behind. Uh, you know, Roger's talking about money. I'm talking about money because God talks about money in this passage and about the support. As a matter of full disclosure, I can say with great joy and thankfulness, we are at 100% of our budgeted giving. I'm not preaching about this today because we have to have your money. In fact, God doesn't have to have your money at all. The Bible is very clear that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God has all the resources. What he does is he gives us the privilege of being a part of his ministry. When we give our offerings, it is a form of our worship. It is a, an act of gratitude and thankfulness where we say to God, God, thank you for the blessings you've given to me. I want to be a blessing as well and be a part of your ministry. If you're somebody who is here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you have never heard a pastor say this statement, so please hear it clearly. If you are not a Christian, keep your money. We don't want you to give. We want you to receive. We want you to receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Giving is a family matter. It is a privilege that we who are believers can participate as a, as a form of thank you and worship to God and as a way to help the gospel to go out. So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, we don't want you to give. We want you to receive his great gift of eternal life that came through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is a free gift that is given through God's grace. You don't buy it. It's not by how much money you put in the offering plate. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. God gave it as a gift to be received freely. Now, for those of us who are believers, who are giving, that is a form of our worship. And I'm thankful, as I said, for those of you who are giving. Keep it up. Our budget year ends next week and we start a whole new year. But as I watch and see again what God is doing here, like Paul, I can say of this church, there is great joy and thankfulness for the partnership that we have. 
When you give to our church, it supports the ministries that you see. Now, it's not just the ministries that you see on our campus. Sometimes you come to Wayside and you look at the facilities and the staff and the ministries here, and you think this is what your offerings uh, help to, to the ministry to be able to do, and it is. But we also give beyond the doors of our church. We give out in the community. Here are just some of the local ministries that you're offering support when you give to Wayside. We have the Colonial Hills Elementary Initiative. Many of you know this partnership we have in a public school where we're seeing 30 to 40 kids each year come to Christ in that public school through the, the initiative that we have there. We have SAM Ministries, San Antonio Metro Ministry, the Pregnancy Care Center, One Way International, Discipleship Tape Ministry. Gideon Bibles are going into the jail. There's support for Sammy Tippett, for Shepherd Support. Stephen Connie Troxell, our former pastoral couple that was here. This is a ministry of encouragement they have. There are local evangelistic outreaches. There's the Church Under the Bridge. There's Enlace Cristino. It's a Hispanic church plant here in our city that we're helping to support to reach into areas of our city that we are not reaching effectively. Around the world, we support 55 different missionary partners and 15 ministry organizations. They're in the countries of Rwanda, Uganda, Chad, Tanzania, Morocco, Swaziland, Thailand, Japan, China, Tajikistan, India, Romania, Croatia, the Czech Republic, the Ukraine, Hungary, Moldova, Spain, the United Kingdom, Peru, Jordan, and Israel. In the last year, we've sent out 115 waysiders. These are the people sitting in the pews around you. Many of them are you. 115 of our people have gone out on uh, team trips to Guatemala, the Czech Republic, the Navajo Nation, East Asia, and Africa. The generosity of God's people goes beyond the doors of Wayside Chapel, not just in the community and around the world, but it's also the way that uh, we minister to those who come in. Jews for Jesus is a great missionary organization. Their, their vision statement says we exist to make the Messiahship of Jesus an unavoidable issue to the Jewish people. And they share with the Gentiles as well, but their focus is the Jews. And when they were here ministering in our church and they took a love offering, unlike the pastor whose hat came back empty, they reported back to us that this was the largest love offering they had ever received in ministering throughout the United States. And they minister in hundreds and hundreds of churches. And it wasn't just the gifts that you gave in supporting their work that they took with them. It was the way that you ministered while they were here. Many of you know that we own uh, 10 of the homes over here on Ivywood Circle, and two of them are fully furnished and set up to house missionary couples who are home on furlough. And one of them uh, is being used right now. The Burkholders are, are home. They're furloughed over there, and you'll be hearing from him in a few weeks. But the Jews for Jesus, they travel around on this big bus and they sleep on the bus and, and they were able to move into a house for a week. And if you've ever, you know, been in a Winnebago type thing, think of that for an entire year. And so they were able to sleep in, in real beds and just in, in, enjoy the hospitality of Wayside. And so these are some of the ways that your, your ministry is, is being done through your partnership. I see it every single week in the offerings and gifts that you give of your time and your talents. This morning, we saw the orchestra, the choir, the others who are giving of their time and talents. There are people all around every single week that minister through their service in the children's ministry and through, throughout the week in the various ministries that take place. And so what Paul is writing to the Philippians, he could say of Wayside Chapel. 
If you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know, Roger, I've, I've thought about serving, but I really don't know where to serve. I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. We've got a, a new online tool that I'm going to point you to. If you go to our website at waysidechapel.org, you can find this uh, called Assess Me. And what it will do is help you to discover what your spiritual gifts are. And it'll, it'll help direct you to, to see what your shape is, your spiritual gift, your heart, your ability, your personality and experience. And it'll point you to places where you can be a part of the ministry. So if you're wondering how you fit and what your gifts are, I encourage you to, to uh, try this new online tool. C contact Will Davis, our pastor of Connect Ministries, and he can help you uh, to discover your gifts as well. In verse 18, we see an example of one who was serving with his life. As Epaphroditus is mentioned, you'll recall we talked about him back in Philippians 2.25. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 8, as Paul mentioned the money given by the Macedonians, he said there, but first they gave themselves to the Lord. You know, sometimes it's easier to give our gifts, our money, than it is ourselves, isn't it? What the Bible tells us in Matthew 6, uh, 21 is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as you think of giving your life, it's more than putting money in the offering plate. It's putting your life in the offering plate, so to speak. I mentioned all the missionaries that are supported by Wayside and the gifts that are given here. But I want you to think in terms of missions as going beyond just the money that you give in the plate. That's certainly a, a, a very great need so that they can have the resources as Paul did to serve while they're overseas. But think in terms of the other support that these missionaries need. How many of you know any of our missionaries personally? I mentioned the number of missionaries and partnerships we have, but do you know any of them personally? And again, if you're not sure who they are or how to connect, I'd, I'd encourage you to contact Hannah or Rick over in our missions department and, and say to them, I'm interested in connecting with one family or a few families. And could you give me information on them so I can begin to pray for them by name, pray for their children by name, so that you can encourage them, so that you can uh, just pick a family and write them a note or let them know that you were thinking of them. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, Roger, I'm, I'm not that spiritual. How am I going to share with a missionary overseas? I mean, these are really spiritual people. No, they're people. How excited do you get when you get a personal letter in the mail? Not, not a bill, not a, you know, junk mail, but an actual real personal note that comes in the mail. Do you rip that open and read it and get excited? Think how much more so you would feel if you were overseas, far from things that are familiar, and suddenly a letter comes in the mail to you. So all you have to do is talk to them as you would talk to a friend. Just tell them about what's going on in your world, what you're doing at school or at work, what your kids are doing. Just let them know that you thought of them today and you were praying for them and it will be a huge encouragement for them. Are we those who lack opportunity or do we simply lack the action to show our concern? Paul was able to say he rejoiced because the Philippians' concern for him had been revived. When, will we be those who will say we're willing to revive and refresh the spirits of somebody who is serving in ministry, one of these far-flung missionaries, especially who needs some encouragement. All of us know that it's easier to endure hardship if we know that others are standing with us, which is why Paul says here in verse 14, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. As Paul thanks him for standing with him and supporting him, 
He lets them know that he remembers all they've done. Look at verses 15 through 16. He says, And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. As Paul says, especially in Thessalonica, those in that day knew that this was a city that was on the coast. It was a port city. It was a fairly wealthy city. And remember we saw in 2 Corinthians 8 that Paul said, you and Philippi are giving out of your poverty. How would you feel about supporting a missionary in Hawaii if you were struggling to feed your family? Would you want to go to, to be a missionary in Hawaii? Do you know there's a great need for, for missionaries in Hawaii? Now, some of you are sitting here saying, great, Roger, sign me up. What if I were to tell you, wonderful, we're ready to send you, but you're going to have to be bivocational, that you're going to have to have a secular job there in order to support yourself in the midst of ministering in that paradise situation. That's what Paul was doing. As he was there in, in Thessalonica, this is what it tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3.8. Paul says, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. When it comes to the gifts that you give to support God's work, I know that you work hard for it. Friends, I work hard for the money that I receive as a minister as well, and my family freely shares it back here at Wayside, and then we support missionaries and partnerships outside that we also believe in. And I know many of you are giving sacrificially of your hard-earned resources. And we don't take your gifts for granted here at Wayside. And I want you to know as well that God doesn't take your gifts for granted either. Look at what is said in verse 17. As Paul writes to them, he says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And when we learn to steward our money, when we learn to do what God calls on us to do, you know what I love to see are new believers who, when the first time they hear about what God says about giving, many of them jump in wholeheartedly. And as you, you would think, well, these are baby believers. These are people who don't really know how hard would it be for them to do that. And you know what I found as I talk to them sometimes? They'll say, you know, Roger, when I came to Christ, I, di I did what it said about the stuff in my life. I, I turned away from sin and my life got better. My, my marriage was a mess and I started to do what God said and that got better. The kids were a mess and we started doing what the Bible says about that and that got better. So if God says this about money, I'm going to do that because that'll get better too. And these are individuals that are saying God understands what we should do with our lives. And, and I told you already, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't have to have your money. But it's what he wants for us, not from us. And what Paul says here is, as we give, there is a credit that comes to our account. You see, the, the deposit isn't made just into a ministry account like at Wayside or another missions organization or person that you support, but there is an account credit made to you in heaven. You know, last week Paul talked about the way to have contentment. We saw that in our lives. And one of the things that we find when we freely give is it gives us contentment in our life. 
We become less like those who are holding on to our stuff with a death grip. You remember what we saw last time in, in Timothy? It told us in 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 8, for we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. When we die, our hands are going to open and we're going to leave it all here anyway. If you're here this morning and you're struggling to feed your family, I want you to come and see me after the service and I'll point you to those who are in our agape ministry. This is a ministry within our church. The, the word agape is the Greek word for love. And it speaks of a giving, self-sacrificing love. And in the book of Acts, we see in Acts 2.45 where it says that those who had were selling what they had and sharing with those who were in need. And one of the other ways that you give to Wayside is through the Agape Fund. Many of you support that. And that is the money that is used to support families that are in need. And there is a group of men and women in a confidential committee that will assess your need and find ways to help you. We have a food pantry here. They give financial assistance to families. They work with them about their finances to help them to, to make good choices in their life. And so thank you again for giving to that area of ministry in our church. As Paul speaks of those that are giving and receiving, look at verse 15 because he says in the matter of giving and receiving, there he uses accounting terms that deal with debits and credits to an account. And as I mentioned, when we give, God credits our account. Now, I don't want you to hear me being one of these prosperity pre preachers, you know, the people that say give to get, sow a seed, give a hundred, get a thousand, give a thousand, get ten thousand. That's God's not a cosmic vending machine, folks. You know, God may bless you that way. He sees those who are faithful with what he's entrusted to them. And many times he gives them more because he says they can be trusted. And I know what they'll do with it. But I want you to hear that one of the ways that God blesses us, as I mentioned, is through contentment. Just the, the joy of giving. I look at my kids you know, and when they give money, they get a big smile on their face. My son, Zachary, my eight-year-old son the other day was talking about missions and giving. And as he gives his money away, he, he gives it away freely. And he says, Daddy, I just don't know where it comes from, but it keeps coming and it keeps going. And, you know, my, my daughter, Sarah, one time, she, she got a dollar when she was really young and she gave it and I shared that. And uh, a lady in the church came up to her after the service and said, Honey, I heard you gave your dollar to God for missions. I want you to have another dollar. She smiled at the woman and said, Now I have another dollar to give to missions. You know, this was her heart. And as we give, we, we have that joy in our life. We have that contentment. But even more so, what God says is, There is a day coming where you will be rewarded. It may not be here on earth, but God is crediting to your account in heaven. <clears throat> Now remember, we can't buy our way to heaven. God isn't saying, well, did you give enough to get in? But the Bible is very clear that when we get to heaven, there will be eternal rewards. There will be uh, responsibilities in the millennial kingdom. There will be things that we will be given for the way we have used our life and our resources. And this is what Paul is speaking of. He says that when you give, there's an account that is being credited. In John 4, 36 through 38, Jesus Christ says this, Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. And he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. 
What John 4 is telling us is all of us who take part in the process share in the reward. Let me illustrate it in terms of this way. If you've ever bought stock in a company, you know that you buy a stock share and there are dividends that that are supposed to be attached to it when the company is healthy, right? And so you may be somebody who has never worked a day on the assembly line, never been a part of their sales force, never done anything as a physical laborer in that company, but because you are an investor, giving of your resource to allow them to buy the product and operate plants so they can then produce a product, you then receive a reward as you get a part of the dividend or the appreciation in that company. And what the scripture is saying is that when we give to ministry, we are just like that. He says, some sow and others reap. You may not be the individual who is directly on a mission field sharing the gospel with somebody or being a part of the evangelistic team down on the river walk where you are personally sharing it. But by the resource, the investments you give into the ministry or the prayers that you give to help that person to be encouraged and to break through some of the spiritual darkness in that place, The scripture says you are a part and you will receive a part of that reward. For everyone who comes to know the Lord, that is credited to your account as one who is sowing whether you reap, whether you're the person on the field or not. And so what God says is when we partner in ministry, the the account balance in heaven is growing. Now when it comes to our account, as I said, it's, it's not something that Uh, that we are, are earning our way, but God says, I will not forget your ministry, Hebrews tells us. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, Roger, I don't have that much to give. And so therefore, my reward won't be very great. If you're thinking that, I want you to look at Mark chapter 12. Because in Mark chapter 12 and verses 41 through 44, this is what Jesus tells us about those who are giving. It says in Mark 12, 41, And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and he began observing how the multitudes were putting money into the treasury. So these are individuals giving at the temple. And it says, And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came, and she put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Jesus said this woman gave very little by the world's standards, but based upon her ability and her heart, her joy, she gave more than all the rest. And if you're somebody here who has not been entrusted with a large amount of resource, and and your resource is not just your money, it's your time, your talents, your other things, what God says to you is we will all be judged based upon how faithful we were with what we were being given. God will not compare me to Billy Graham, and he won't compare you to me or, or you to the person next to you in the pew. It will be based upon what we have done with what God has given to us. Paul says in verse 18, but I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What made their offering so pleasing to God was not the size of it. It was the heart. It was the sacrifice that went with it. They gave out of their poverty. The the amount of money that showed up probably wasn't that large, but Paul said in the hands of God it was more than enough 
He multiplied it. It was in abundance. Dr. Ironside, who was a pastor in the past, used to tell the story about an old Scotsman and an offering that he gave in his church one day. In this church, the way the ushers would take the offering, maybe you've seen this before, there was a bag on the end of a long pole and the ushers would come down the aisle and they'd put the pole down the pews. You know, you could tap somebody on the chest if they didn't put anything in in that day. So they, they would do this. Well, this man, as, he, as the usher was holding the bag in front of this man, he, he reached in his pocket and he gets his coin purse out and he's, he's reaching in there for a shilling, which was just a small, you know, the smallest coin. Well, as he was doing so, a gold sovereign, which was worth a lot of money, accidentally fell out of his coin purse into the bag. Now, when this happened, the man reached in the bag to try to get it. Well, the usher pulled the pole back real quick from him. And uh, he said, nigh, once in, it all goes to God. And uh, this other Scotsman said to him, he said, oh, we'll, I'll get credit for it in glory. And the usher said, no, you'll get credit for the shilling because that's what you meant to give. <laughs> in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, we're told, let each one of you do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, God doesn't want you to give out of guilt or obligation. As I said before, if you don't want to give your money to Wayside, then please don't. God wants it to be a fragrant offering. God wants it to be something given with joy. God wants it to be a, a way that we say we are privileged to partner in the ministry of what God is doing in and through this church. Someone once said that money is like manure. It stinks if you pile it up. But if you spread it around, it does a lot of good. As you think about the way you're using God's resources, what kind of odor is going up? Is it a fragrant, acceptable offering to God? God wants us to hold what we need for what we need to live on. He's not against us saving for the future. He is a God of planning. But ask yourself if you're piling up so much that it's just going to rot, or, or your security you think is based upon your stock portfolio or your bank balance. Are you one who is giving to God freely of what he's given to you, spreading it around so that it can do uh, good things? As the Philippians gave to God, it was a well-pleasing offering that would one day God would reward them for. He says in verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, many people love to quote that verse. But remember the context that it's in. He's speaking of those who are giving as a part of the partnership. And he says, where your riches are, are in glory in Christ Jesus. As we saw earlier, God is keeping the accounts and he will make sure that we receive our rewards. Now, as we give to God, it is to be cheerfully with the right motive. If we give that way, what we're told here is we will be blessed in return, sometimes materially, as I mentioned, but most often it's what happens in our life, the contentment and the joy that comes as we release what we have. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. When it comes to these rewards that God will give to us, I want you to notice it says God will give according not from, but according. Do you know the difference? 
Imagine that I saved the life of Bill Gates. And as I did so, Bill Gates said to me, Roger, I want to reward you. Now, if he gave to me from his riches, he might open his wallet and pull out a $20 bill or maybe even a $100 bill and say, here's a thank you. Now, if Bill gave according to his riches, I'd get $100 million, maybe more. And that's what God says. He will not give to us simply from his riches, but according to his riches. Friends, God owns it all. God made it all. And as we think about the way that we will be blessed if we invest in the things that matter for all eternity, it will be enormous eternal dividends. As Paul thought of this, as well as the way the Philippians had partnered with him, he breaks into spontaneous praise. He said, I want this for you, not from you. And as he thinks of them, he says in verse 20, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As he closes out this letter, he greets them in the final verses. And he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. That's all those in Rome. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. As we read that, you see the impact of their support. Remember, Paul is in prison because Nero, the Caesar, the emperor at the time, is persecuting and killing Christians. And Paul says, even those in Caesar's household, maybe his wife, his children, officials, cousins, people in Caesar's own household have come to faith in Christ. Paul shared with the Praetorian Guard, the elite soldiers who were there in Caesar's household, and as you look at the impact of their support, this is amazing. And the same thing happens today. There are so many stories from around the world of the way that God is at work. We live in a world that is increasing more and more persecution upon believers. Even in our own country, we're, we're seeing things tighten up. And sometimes I talk to Christians who are so discouraged. And they say, you know, Islam is taking over the world and they're wiping out Christians and what's going to happen? And, you know, I hear the stories from people who are in these closed areas, in these Islamic areas where there is extreme Muslim persecution and they are speaking of ways that God is at work. There are, are Muslims who are seeing Jesus appear to them in dreams and they are coming to faith in Christ. There are people that are believers in house churches that are multiplying in closed countries. You look at China and other things. And sometimes we sit on the outside looking in and say, what is happening? What is going on? And what God says is, my kingdom is growing and multiplying in ways and places you don't even know. And because of the support of those of us here at Wayside who are partnering with some who are in these very difficult areas, the same thing is happening, even those in Caesar's household. I know of stories I can't share of those who are in, in high-up royal families in some of Saudi Arabia and other places who have come to faith in Jesus. And it's because of the partnership of others and the prayers of others and seeing what is happening around the world. And as Paul thinks of this, and as he thinks of them and their partnership, he gives a final benediction to his beloved brothers and sisters in verse 23. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The Philippians were those who had refreshed Paul's spirit. When Paul needed a, a gift, they sent it. When he needed encouragement, they sent a friend like Epaphroditus. And when they thought of Paul, they sent up a prayer. Will we be those who are like the Philippians? Will we be those who will encourage and support those who need it most? Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer?
Lord God, as we come to you today, it is with great thankfulness. We thank you for the way that you are at work, not just in the doors of Wayside, but throughout the community and around the world because of the faithfulness, the partnership of so many people who are here. The gifts that they give, the, the encouragement that they give, the prayers that they uphold and support missionaries around the world and those in our ministry within the doors of our church. I thank you for them. Father God, we thank you for the way you are at work in the world, that you are not without a witness, that even though things from an earthly perspective look like they're in, in trouble for, for you and in your kingdom, they're not, and we know that. So Father, we thank you for the way that you're at work in and through the world, and we pray that we would be those who would partner with you, that we would be men and women, boys and girls, who would step up and freely share in the ministry through what we give of our time, our talents, and even our treasure. We pray, God, that you would use us to be lights in the schools, the workplaces, the military bases, even on the streets of San Antonio and beyond. So thank you, Lord God, for your great love for us and letting us share in your ministry and in your work. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.